0: What do we do now? I told you I found a new voice. Now we use it. New voices, virgin brains, and fucking lassoos! Welcome to Westworld The Recapables, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today we're talking Season 2, Episode 5, Akane no Mai. We're doing this... Before airing, without the benefit of subtitles, or Reddit groupthink, or a safety net, in this episode, we get Dolores and Teddy talking and talking and getting sexy and splitting up and also a long, dark journey into Shogun World where Maeve and her crew meet Maeve and her crew. I am joined for my laboratory debriefing this week by Ringer staff writer and the ghost writer of Delos Labtex, Alyssa Bereznak. How are you doing, Alyssa?
1: I'm great. And,
0: as always, heading face first into a spike and loving it, it's Danny Heifetz. How are you, Danny? I don't have to speak the language to know a puckered asshole when I see one. I don't even <laughs> remember that quote, but I appreciate you for saying it. All right. This was, a, uh, this was a fairly straightforward episode as far as, you know, Westworld goes, time jumping or lack thereof and whatnot. But we got a lot of big stuff that we've been waiting for for a long time. Alyssa, what is your tweet length review of this episode?
1: I would say this is a surprisingly self-aware funhouse mirror of the normal show.
0: Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Uh, Danny, what we' we're, we're gonna get into you know our awards and the description of the show and everything later on. But if, what's your what's your like brief takeaway of this? What were you most excited about watching the show?
2: Oh, man, I, I don't even know. It's, 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 You're uh, it's, to samurais. Say- it's samurais. It's samurais. What go, are you talking you about?
0: Go. Okay. What's wrong with you? Danny, I've wanted
2: this since the moment they came up in
0: the, like, 2016. Danny has been drawing samurais in the margins of his school notebooks for as long as I can remember knowing him. Um, all right. There were a lot of samurais. This was a very Funhouse Mary episode. I appreciate that. Those things happened in the show, but now here's everything that happened. Akane, you know We open in the present in a flicker-lit lab, where Strand and his friends are de-brining the host from the sea, but a third of them have had their minds wiped and Delos IP stripped. Teddy is among the dead, Strand is P.O.ed, and Bernard is stoic.
2: That's quite a story you gave him.
0: Jump to Maeve and her squad being captured by a band of samurai outlaws, but her mind control doesn't work because she's not speaking Japanese. The outlaws string them up and march them through a body-ravaged path into Japanese Sweetwater because everything here in Eastworld is a bizarro parallel of Westworld. Painted black rearranged in Eastern Strains, a replay of the safe robbery scene from season one, and hey, shogun versions of Hector, Armistice, and Maeve. Maeve is offended, but it's not plagiarism, according to Sizemore. It's supply and demand. An emissary of the Shogun comes in and demands that Akane, who's fake Maeve, gives him her beloved Sakura, and she defies her programming and stabs him in the eye. Now they have to escape, and Maeve's crew are going with him. Before they can leave that night, though, ninjas attack, and Maeve knows telepathically just in time to save her own life. She can control them by speaking Japanese, but not when she's getting choked, unless, yep, she figures out how to control other hosts with her mind, and the poor ninja who is choking her impales his face on a spike. It's not over though. The Shogun's army approaches, even though this is totally against the narrative. All right, Sizemore, shut it. Their new Ronin friend, Musashi, who's the fake Hector, used to be the leader of the army, so he knows their plan. But Musashi's plan is apparently for him and Hector to fight them and lose so Maeve and the others can escape. This is insane and then just never show up in the story. The next day, Maeve and Sizemore argue about code and free will again, and on their way to the Shogun's estate, they find a bunch of Dello soldiers strung up and dead, and Maeve and Akane become besties. They get into the compound disguised as Chinese emissaries, but the Shogun is leaking cortical fluid, and he's lost his mind. He's had all his men's ears burned off, so Mave, the Witch can't control them. Oh shit, he's got them figured out. He unmasks Akane and asks what she's doing there, and Akane asks for Sakura, and the Shogun says if they dance together, she can save her. And then back in their tent, Akane realizes that the Shogun tattooed a cherry blossom tree on a Sakura's back and gives her Maeve's famous you-can-be-whatever-you-want-to speech in Japanese. Maeve says that she'll take them to the new world, and there's some whispery voices and Maeve says freedom, and wait, did she just telepathically give her consciousness? Then later at their performance, the crazy Shogun straight-up murders Sakura and makes Akane kind of dance, which she does until, psych, she stabs him in the head and hacks his head off. The Shogun's men are about to put Akane and Maeve to death, when Maeve uses her new powers to have them all turn and kill each other. She grabs a sword like a badass and says... I found a new voice, now we use it. Meanwhile, back in Westworld, Dolores and Teddy ride into Sweetwater, the real one, where everyone is murdered following the host uprising. They need the train to go after the folks who took her daddy, and in the Mariposa, Clementine comes face to face with the replacement Clementine, which is uncomfortable. Later, they're out in the fields, and Dolores and Teddy are talking about free will, of course, but is Dolores the one who can't escape her new narrative, or is Teddy stuck in his old ideas about what escape really means? Dolores tells a story about the herd getting infected. Teddy says he'd shelter them to give them a chance to survive, but Dolores says, nah, we'll set them on fire this conversation feels important. Later, they're in a room in the brothel and they make sweet, sweet robot love. Later, Dolores takes Teddy into a creepy room full of diseased flesh and flies and says, the past few days I've seen you so clearly. Sounds good, right? And I've seen you're not going to make it. Whoops. But then she doesn't kill him yet. It's just her cronies restrain Teddy while the lab tech pushes all the stats to the max, which sounds a lot less bad than it looked.
1: To grow, we all need to suffer.
0: Um, Alyssa, I liked your funhouse mirror idea, but also this was, I mean, everything we were looking at was an inversion in a lot of ways of what we'd seen previously in the show. Um, although, you know, storytelling wise, like I said, this is a pretty straightforward episode of Westworld. No major flashbacks or flash forwards with the exception of a few things going on in Maeve's head and the brief introductory scene. Um, but I'll just jump right in. The big idea this week on Westworld, The Recapables, is parallels. Um, Maven Company obviously encounter their Japanese counterparts in Shogun World. Um, The the first big scene that we get in Shogun World is a straight-up reshoot of the robbery scene from season one, um, which really underscores the fact that they're looking at themselves, watching themselves do this stuff. And then on the other half of the storyline... Um, there's this parallel of Dolores and Teddy sort of reenacting their romance from season one in brief, uh, although it didn't always feel brief. And then, uh, and then, you know, having these conversations, but then of course there's the big twist at the end. Um, I don't know, Alyssa, what do you think? What, what was your, do you, what, what do you, what do you think the, what do you think that the idea was behind showing us all of these, uh, parallel strands of the stories?
1: Well, first of all, I think just zooming out a little, it's kind of a flex on their part. It's like, oh, you know, this narrative so, so well that we're going to like remix it and then like add like music that's slightly different and mm-hmm. then everyone's going to get the joke. So I, I would like I appreciated the flex there <laughs> Um in terms of like bigger ideas. I think it's just sort of uh, getting at this idea of you can be whatever you want to be in japanese (laughs) it's like (laughs) no matter what like the narrative could change um i mean i know we're going to do quotes later but there there was another interesting one that was like even a snake can become a dragon and i think that that is kind of the point here it's like like conscience is fluid at this point and um, an iPad can completely change the game <laughs> and it feels really chaotic and also doesn't seem to make that much sense in terms of hierarchy of power. Um, but it, it's really like you have to give yourself up to the nar- narrative because uh, no matter what, that it can just be remixed in in a new world or um, a character can become a different character.
0: Yeah. We talked about this a little bit last week. I think it was on the Tuesday show where Danny suggested this theory that these, that like there are, there will, there will be host equivalents in the other worlds. And I still may, I still stick to my general aversion to this, which is that like if Shogun world is actually West world for the people who think West world is too tame. The implication is that those people have been to West world. So when they come to Shogun world and they see the same narratives happening, are, are very similar characters. You'd think that would just sort of set up some alarm bells, but maybe all they want is blood and guts and sex, and so it doesn't really matter.
1: The other problem I had with that is, like, why isn't the man in black in Shogun World then? He's the one who's, like, the most intense player. Like, why is he all stuck in Westworld if that's, like, the less cool one? It's a
0: really good question. So we so the, so the we know that there's six parks, or six worlds in the overall park, um, and I guess there's some people that have theorized that, like, everything outside of Westworld is a little bit less three-dimensional. That, like, maybe that maybe it's just, like, you know, they're more single-issue parks. You know, there's, like, the Shogun World is just for gore, you know, just for hardcore violence. <laughs> and that, like, you know, uh, Raj World is just for... Uh, whatever, like racial oppression and and hunting tigers or whatever, oh God, but like it's dark. Yeah, no, yeah but, <laughs> but, but but you know that they have more specific they're, they're outlets for more specific desires, and Westworld being the old the original is a, is a more fully fleshed out universe. But yeah, it's 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 strange. I like what you're saying about the flex earlier, though, because there is this sort of. They do. They do expect, or they, or they do. They do work from the fact that the viewership is dedicated, and that they'll remember those things. Now, I don't know that it's necessary to appreciate the show because then they have Maeve, you know, or, and and her and her posse kind of openly say, "Hey, look, the, there are Japanese versions of us standing in front of us." Like they have to make they have to make it a lot clearer than just the implication. Um, but on the other half of the story, I mean, a lot of what happened with Dolores and Teddy was just building the suspense for what happened at the end and frankly teddy sort of got off e- easy at the end of the episode i i was so bored isn't the right word but i was just so um like uncaptivated by by like the first <laughs> scene they had together that i that i felt like i knew at that moment teddy was going to die because because they were they were just setting it up to be too sweet and too much of a throwback of their relationship but it did seem like in a lot of ways they were they weren't just paralleling season one. They were like kind of fully reminding us of where we had been with them before the uprising.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I I think it's a really good point that it was going so slow that it almost got exhausting. Um, And this show is rarely relatable to real life. I think I'm I'm maybe one of the few people who really appreciated all the office politics in the first season. And Mm -hmm. I wrote about that, as you mentioned before. Um, But I actually think that the Dolores-Teddy conversation was almost like an exhausting breakup. Like they they were like, you know, reminiscing about their good times. And then like, you know, they had like their breakup sex and then towards the end of that breakup she had to like show him a museum of objects to finally get him to understand (laughs) like here's the can I used to pick up and then here's this rotting flesh it's over yeah Um,
0: she had to she had to like uh, he had to like see a room full of rotted flesh to get the message (laughs) which is like a lot of breakups I know
2: exactly can you imagine if there was a tablet that controlled every one of your personality traits and that whoever's holding it can Change everything about you, and then a lot suddenly, more relationships yeah,
1: would last. But,
2: and, no, but imagine if your significant <laughs> other pulls out that tablet and says, "We're breaking up," and then just starts m- moving the sliders.
0: No, I think Alyssa's right. I think you'd pull it out, but b- before the breakup, <laughs> I think there'd be, yeah. there'd be a lot of significant others muted, you know, over the over the, over the course of a relationship. But yeah, freeze motor
1: can, functions. Yeah, if you can,
0: but if you can make everybody compassionate and and uh, you know appropriately intelligent for the moment and everything else, you know, like the it, it, relationships would go a lot better.
1: But Dolores wants the opposite of that with Teddy, right? She she wants him to be way more ruthless and way less compassionate.
0: Yes, that's true. Now I, I, we actually have the stat sheet. Before uh, before we get to the stat sheet, quick question because I don't want to I don't want to you know get too far past their uh, intimate moment. <laughs> I think that there's a, the real question here, which is is this the first time they've had sex?
1: Yeah, I was wondering the same exact thing because they're so. PG rated in the actual. Well, there's no reason for them to have
0: sex unless it's in the background of another scene. I I think that's clearly the implication. Unless
1: like some perverted guest wanted to watch them have sex. (laughs) I think
2: I don't know if it was the first ever instance of like consensual hosts on host sex, but I thought it was definitely the first time that Teddy and Dolores. Well, Maeve
0: and Hector, I guess, would be at the end of season one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. But But
1: Maeve was conscious. Yeah, I mean. Sure. But
0: Hector wasn't. I mean, and then there's a, I guess there's an open an open question about how conscious Dolores and Teddy are. I I alluded to that a little bit in my in my uh, synopsis. But I think that the further that we get into the season, it's it's worth asking how how awake Dolores really is, and how much she's potentially—I mean, she certainly had a literal role in the in Ford's new narrative that began in the last season finale, right? I mean, she her, she her killing Ford is what set off the rebellion, so or the the revolution. So whether or not it's just sort of a she's like it's a functional role, or whether or not she's fully programmed and still living out this life of anarchy, so that the you know Westworld will stay nuts. I think that's a good question, and Teddy certainly did more to prove his, I don't know if humanity is the word or just wokeness or whatever else in this episode. Although you could never quite tell if he was, if he was actually seeing beyond the present or if his, when he was saying we can run away together, if that was just like season one where he's, where when he, when he's saying run away, he means like, you know, over that hill to a new cabin. You know, what, what do you think?
1: Yeah. I think his scope is really limited. Like there's not much going on in Teddy's head. And And to go back to their sex scene, I do think that it was sort of treated as if it was the first time, just like um, show wise, like the lighting was really elegant and it was like very epic, (laughs) Um, which made me think like it was a special moment. But for him, I think it was like his dreams coming true. Like she essentially gave that to him for one night and then she was like, "Okay, bye, Teddy. Like it was almost her being sympathetic to his situation to not really reach further, even if she might not necessarily be there either.
2: It's, um, I imagine how praying mantises have sex. It's there basically was, like that's just terrible <laughs> I thought I'm um, praying mantises before
0: before we get to that real quick, I think the the lighting of that of of that scene or the way that that sex scene was shot is, I mean, it does say a lot because we've seen ever since basically, like ever since the hosts have have awoken, they've been treated a lot more tastefully. you know, Dolores yeah. is is sitting, you know, is not has not been shown naked sitting on the chair, I don't think. you know, and that sex scene was a far cry from last season when we would just walk by the different rooms in the lab with just, like, sex acts going on in front of us. I mean, this was a tasteful Hollywood movie sex scene. Didn't it remind you of the end of Game of Thrones? you being serious
2: no no i'm the Jon snow Daenerys, targaryen scene from the end of the oh yeah yeah. lighting wise the way it was shot it was it seemed like very similar
1: it reminded me but them laying at the end reminded me of like a classical painting almost like the lines of the bodies and stuff
0: absolutely i think that's true danny do you have you have the stats there for us oh yeah the
2: stats well first of all to rewind to what you were saying about dolores um i think you're completely wrong and i think she's totally awake Uh uh i i i I'm at the point where if she's not awake, I will just be infuriated because it's kind of like Sizemore. And if you're just going to keep saying over and over like, oh my God, this isn't according to narrative. Dolores just keeps saying over and over that like, I feel awake now. And it's like, if you say that eight times an episode and then like that isn't true, it's like, I'll be really angry. But as for Teddy and the stats, we it's actually really funny. We uh, screenshotted what she actually changed. Like this is Madden or 2K changing the stats. She maximized courage, tenacity, loyalty, aggression, decisiveness, self-preservation, cruelty, coordination, and bulk-gap perception, which is the one that Maeve maximized that made her able to, like, be super smart. She minimized empathy, curiosity, imagination, patience, humility, meekness, vivacity, humor, charm. I believe she minimized
0: charm. Sensibility. And then, interestingly, candor is at 10 out of 20. It's right, right there in the middle, huh? Um, yeah, it, that's it, that's very. It's very strange, right? I mean, she, she gave him a farewell speech. Basically, you're not going to make it to the valley. Beyond. she didn't say you're not going to make it to the valley beyond. But that was certainly the implication. But then she just changed his settings, which we've already seen happen to Maeve and to others.
2: So I would connect this to that scene that they're standing on, and she's talking about the cattle. That is. The parallel to a scene from the pilot, which we've talked about before, but they're standing on a hill overlooking Dolores' herd in the first episode. And Dolores is explaining the Judas steer. She actually takes a shot at Teddy and says, oh, I forgot, you look like a cowboy, but you're not really one, which feels like foreshadowing to this moment. And she explains that the the herd will follow the Judas steer wherever they tell it to go. And now I imagine the Judas steer is called the Judas steer because it's leading all the other cattle to the slaughter. slaughter, So perhaps Dolores is the Judas steer. It seems more likely now that Teddy is the Judas Steer and that Dolores is the shepherd and that what this conversation is clearly about is that the hosts are the herd and Dolores is deciding how do you save all of them and you have to make difficult choices. She feels that she's the leader and she feels that you have to cull the herd and that's the only way that you can have some survive. Teddy is arguing that he would try to preserve the weak. Now where this is going and maybe you want me to save this for the last section of what happened in that first scene but where I think this is going is what happened in that first scene where they're talking about why is a third, why are these virgin brains floating around? And if you buy into the... Oh, wait, no, no, I want to okay. save this. I, I want to say, say this we'll because say it. it's really good. It's All really right, we'll good. I know where you're going yeah. with
0: this. Um, before we get away from parallels, I don't know how to ask this question without it seeming obtuse. Is there, is, are we going to see, is it going to matter in any kind of like technologically significant way, Alyssa, that like Mave and Hector and Armistice are running around with, you know, Shogun world versions of themselves? Or is this just like they're best they're you know they're best friends now because they're just like each other and that's how we're going to move forward
1: well, Lee Sizemore makes a reference to that, doesn't he? He says, uh, who knows, like, how this is going to mess with their code. And he, like, sort of, like, looks over and sees Hector staring at his Japanese counterpart and Armistice staring at hers. And to me, like, that is a similar moment to when they look at an iPad and watch their speech on that little graph and then, like, start to short circuit, you know? Um, but we didn't see any of that. They seem to just be, like, fascinated with it and going along with it. I, I think that because there's no technological implication there, I'm kind of frustrated. Like, the technology doesn't seem to be fitting into like, um, neat boxes anymore to me. It just like is like willy nilly. And, and maybe it's because like I didn't know that they all sort of were as conscious as Maeve. So, um, I would say that like they're fine now, I guess, because they survived that and they're like, thriving, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I
0: know I know what you mean about, uh, you know, when Teddy earlier this season saw his stats on the iPad and and you know, the the various awakenings the different hosts have had. It does seem like if they make it through that first shock, then they are you know, without short circuiting or whatever, then they are on the path to awakening. But um it did seem sort of that it all happened just sort of too smoothly in this. I think, say, I think staring at another version of yourself is going to shock you into, you know, to awareness or, or you know, leave you, leave you lying.
2: We talked a lot last week about the cave and Lazarus emerging from the cave okay. and resurrection, but the other thing that's just so on the nose, especially in this episode, is the al- Plato's allegory of the cave, which we don't have to get into right now. But mm-hmm. basically, the idea that truth is a rugged ascent toward a blinding light and that it takes time for your eyes to adjust to the light of truth and that it's something that initially is very difficult, but that's really what a lot of these hosts are going through this season. And Sizemore says something I think is very interesting, which Maeve asks him, can we trust Akane, who is Maeve's counter-alternative here. And Sizemore says, that's basically saying, can you trust yourself? That's how similar they are. That's really interesting because when you look at that, like Hector hates Musashi. He's yeah. like he wants. He's like I'm gonna kill this dude like a rabbit, and I'm like okay. But what does that really mean? It you know it kind of means he has some self hatred, right? And it's really like they're kind of talking into mirrors, so it's not quite that they're doing a debriefing, but it's almost in a way simulating what we saw in episode ten of season one, where Dolores is sitting across from Dolores in the chair, mm-hmm. and they're doing the debriefing. Yeah, this is not quite that, but it kind of is. It is.
0: It because I mean it, it makes sense in a, in a sort of strictly, you know, textual level that like of course Hector would be programmed to hate anyone like himself. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of the lone wolf or of the, you know, whatever. But um but you're right. I mean they have to to come to grips with their own to, to to stare themselves down. And I mean that's that that's that can be a measure of of awakening. One last parallel I want to get to, which is sort of the one the whole show was based around, the whole episode was based around, and maybe the whole show, uh, was Dolores and Maeve. <laughs> um I don't think it's an accident that if you know every uh, that were that we have a whole episode dedicated to the journeys of just those two characters. Yeah. From the very beginning when they came face to face um in the middle of the wilderness as they were going their separate ways was that episode 2 or episode 1? Two. 2. 2. Reunion. Yeah, reunion. And um yes and they, yeah they reuned in that scene. Um <laughs> they they uh but but to ha- I mean this is clearly you know, it could be a tease. We don't know who you know if the, if good or evil are going to be meaningful really at all in the context of this show. But it does seem like what, the way we're supposed to see this now is that Dolores, the heroine of season one, is becoming the villain of season two, and Maeve, um, who is sort of a background player for, I mean, a, you know, not not a super lead for most of se- for a lot of season one, is now becoming the protagonist of the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I'm way more compelled with her story. And also, she has superpowers as opposed yeah. to Dolores. So that, that like, was a, a big um, warning sign to me that I should start caring about Maeve a lot more.
0: <laughs> um, I appreciate that segue. <laughs> We're done with the big idea. Let's get into the big questions. My first question um, is a little bit of a nerdy one. But is, this is a nerdy podcast. So this I think is a saying. nerdy podcast. We're good. Uh, is, is host telepathy... And magic iPads, are those two powerful uh, contrivances for th- this story to be told in any kind of coherent way? Uh, we talked a little about whether, you know, Dolores using the iPad in the place of, ba- basically in place of killing Teddy. Um, but I, And I think there's a real, a real pertinent question, which is, did Maeve kind of like force awaken Akane when she, you know, mind, did that little mind meld with her at the end? Um, I don't know. I mean, is is, are we, is this going to be stuff that's going to be explained or is this just is this just like untenable science fiction at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, like on the galaxy brain scale, we're like all the way at the end. Like I couldn't imagine this uh, the rules of this universe getting more complicated. Like I'm not able to really sort them out anymore. Um, but I will say that. Like, at least we got those voices as a way to tell us that it was happening. And, um, that's something that we haven't seen with anyone else. But I want to know, like, was Ford whispering in a, in a way? Mm. Like when he was controlling hosts, um, is Dolores only able to speak to people to control them? It seems like that's the case with her right now. Is this something you evolve on your own? And one thing I noticed about Maeve is that she was only able to harness this power once she started to feel like, deep empathy for these characters or like an emotional connection with them. Like that was when she was like really able to sort of speak to Maeve or she was, I mean, I know that like with the ninja, she was a little bit more um, just like in the moment adrenaline, but, I, I just want to know, like, what is it that allowed her to access that? And I think that would help us understand this power better.
0: I, I agree. There's a lot left to be understood there. You know, there's obviously like the fear that, that let her be able to use her powers when she was being attacked a couple of times. And, uh, I, and, I, and I also wonder just at a very base level, like, does everybody who gets their their, you know, volume turned up functionally have this power if they can find it just like Maeve found her ability to speak Japanese? Or is this... A special power that only our, you know, the, the 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 force sensitive of the hosts can can command.
2: Maeve as a witch is brilliant because the ninja calls her a witch. And I mm-hmm. laughed because I'm an idiot. She's not a witch. She's just doing it with computers. Then I thought yeah. about, I'm like, what's the difference between coding and magic? Nothing. I don't know how to code HTML. Like, I don't know anything about machine learning. Like, this is literally magic to me. Like, it, magic is real. Mm-hmm. Unless you think you know how the Google algorithm works or how they... Like, code any of these hosts. Like, it's magic. There's no discernible difference. And to premise her in that way, this old, almost ancient archetype that actually is futuristic is brilliant. Now, in that first scene when the ninjas ambush and they grabbed her mouth and she couldn't command anyone, I remember thinking that she was like genie from X-Men and that she was so all-powerful that they always have to invent some dumb plot for what, like why she's not in the fight because she just kill everyone in an instant and end it. But I actually thought the way they did it made a lot of sense in that, I agree with you, Alyssa, in that it's almost like her fight-or-flight adrenaline response. But I think, on the other hand, it's kind of like this great power she's discovered, but what's coming on the other foot isn't, like, omniscience, but the downside of her being able to use that. I think that she hasn't yet reckoned with if she uses and relies on this too much, and that we're probably going to see later this season the downsides of trying to do that, Mm -hmm. whether it affects her, people she cares about. She's probably going to hurt someone she really, like, loves or cares. Probably, maybe it's Hector. Um... That's kind of where I think it's going, and I think that's probably how that power gets reined in, because otherwise, well, yeah, it's it's can totally disrupt the plot.
0: Well, another option would just be that, like, eventually, all the, the only hosts that are left are going to be the awake, the uh, the awaken, uh, awake ones, and that maybe she just can't she can't use it on those hosts.
1: Yeah, or I, it'll be a battle of the subconscious, which sounds very meta.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think that's a good way of looking at it. But it, it, yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a. Uh, if we're gonna assume this is technology. Right. Then it's just like she's she's plugged into the system. Right. She's plugged into the Matrix. It's and the mesh can, network. It's, it's the mesh
2: network they established in the first exactly. episode. It's
0: the mesh network. So it's like if everybody is awake and plugged into the mesh network and is aware, then they can do the, whatever the coding equivalent of cutting off their ears is. Right? I agree. Or, I think
2: it's they, they compared it to ants. And I think that those are worker
0: ants that she can take over. But if she probably could not do anything to Dolores. So I, I agree with that. Right. Um, this is this is a little bit less of a deus ex machina. But what about the? Is that the, how you pronounce it? I don't know. Is oh my god! <laughs> I've
2: never heard anyone confident enough to say that out loud till right now. But
0: uh, th- <laughs> the 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 tele the, the telepathy was definitely one. But the 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 iPads you know date back to the beginning of the show. I guess they haven't been always always been used to give people superpowers. Um, But I mean, is that do you think that maybe this is another parallel you you tell me, you tell me, Alyssa, is it Maeve has the telepathy and Dolores has the iPad? Is that is that the direction that we're going or are these just are these, you know, this isn't the weapon that Dolores is talking about, but are these the two main weapons of the show going forward?
1: Yeah, that that seems a little bit too neat to me. And I, I think it's really interesting that we're now thinking of the iPad as a, a weapon, like when Maeve was really pumped about the iPad. And like Teddy could have been, too, if Dolores had presented it to him in a different way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but, you know, then we saw Bernard use it against our, a random host. I mean, I think that iPads are much less powerful than what Maeve has going on with her because it's you can do it in a moment. You don't need an actual um, piece of technology, and you don't need so, to, you
0: don't need your human friend to do it for you.
1: Exactly, but I mean, it would be so interesting to see Dolores and Maeve go head to head, and she, like you know, Maeve has telepathy, and Dolores has the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> that would be funny, <laughs> and, 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 and
0: and and maybe neither were. I mean, maybe even the iPad doesn't work on Maeve if she's fully evolved. But um, I guess you're right. I mean, it was the the scene with Teddy was weird for a lot of reasons. Uh, the, the 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 final scene with Teddy. Not not only because, like I said, the whole thing seemed to be set up for him to die, and I guess the beginning of the show sort of you know started that started you thinking that way, um, but also because you didn't she didn't need to hold him she didn't need to have her posse like gang up on him to hold him. In theory, she could have just had his vitals changed when he was like you know looking out the window, right?
1: Exactly. It was so weird. I don't know why she wanted to scare him. Maybe because that was like the why in her, but it so. was just very weird. I mean, maybe it was the end of the breakup. She was frustrated with him. Who You're right. Knows?
0: It was symbolic. It was symbolic probably more <laughs> than it was practical. What do, you, what do you got, Danny?
2: I'm glad Mike is not here because this is really corny. <laughs> I thought the weapon was information and understanding. I Now I've, I've changed my mind. I think it's really simple. The weapons are emotions. Maeve is the protagonist at her court because she is driven by love. Mm-hmm. Everything she's doing is out of caring and empathy. And Dolores is driven by hatred. And in some ways, it's that simple.
0: I mean, it is true. Going back to parallels, they're both they they, they both have train rides in their stories, right? Yeah. I mean, Maeve was on a train ride and she got off to go find her daughter at the, at the end of last season. Dolores is now apparently trying to take a train to find Peter yeah, Abernathy? Literally, what's
2: the first thing they did with with consciousness? Dolores gets—I mean, I'm not blaming Dolores. She's been through literal hell. But the first thing she does is, like, she gets conscious and, like, oh, I'm going to murder someone. Yeah. And Maeve's first decision that awakens her is she's like, I'm going to go find my daughter who I Absolutely. love irrationally. Like, it's literally from the very moment they became whatever they are it, 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 that's informed everything they do is those emotions. And really, that's the— I mean, that's what the ju- this journey they're talking about is and consciousness and all this. We can talk about the idea of it. it's feelings. Yeah. That's really what they're trying to explore and what they don't understand.
0: As long as we're talking about feelings, I want to talk about the strongest feelings I experienced this week, which was Danny's love for Shogun World. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. It's... We finally got it. It was teased at the end of last season. Uh, there was evidence of Shogun World in all the trailers that they released. I mean, this was it, there was no doubt that this was going to happen. I felt it like
2: was... Teddy. I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when, and I just was teased and teased and I I just, I thought it was always forever someday and then I got it in all its full naked, bare beauty and it was more than I ever could have hoped for. I'm
0: I'm kind of surprised that you said that. I think that you're a little bit overly exuberant, but I I think (laughs) only, only because my expectation was that it was going to be more, that it was going to be more... Uh, I don't even know I don't even know how to say it there'd be it'd be, it'd be a, a, a bigger show a more impressive scene that it would be giant armies marching in stuff with like shining armor and giant castles and, and everything else um, and it was a pretty you know down and dirty like granular world just like Westworld was I don't know Alyssa what were your overall impressions from Shogun World?
1: I really loved it. I mean, I'm all about the Zen vibe of of all of those homes and like the light snow falling. Like that was very nice for me. Um, I think Maeve looks great in a kimono. Absolutely. Uh, and I was really happy about all of the crazy like samurai fights that kind of looked like Kill Bill scenes. Like I really was pumped about that. Um I thought like the dance scene at the end, which I'm sure we'll get to, was epic and really gory. Like maybe one of the most gory scenes I've seen on Westworld so far um and uh, in general it was hilarious to me like I didn't mind Lee Sizemore saying a bunch of like (laughs) sort of like oh like this is how it works here like kind of being the human host for all of us (laughs) um I, I thought it was great no
0: Sizemore plays a very important role which is to like literally introduce us to and and the people he's traveling with to everything that's going on around him around them um uh, and I don't. Have, I didn't have any problem with that either. I think it was his his continued exasperation at things violating the script when he is like now traveling companions with a host who has become awakened is a little bit uh, a little bit uh, you know mind blowing. But um, yeah, I thought I thought Shogun World was great, and I don't think I mean there, I don't think there's any real reason to to hold off on talking about the end. I mean I think that was that was more. Um, symbolic of of the whole world than anything else. Sizemore so said, "This is for the hardcore uh, travelers to to go visit." And in a, in an episode where we saw, like we discussed before, possibly the tamest sex scene in Westworld history, um, or in, in, in TV show and actual <laughs> the actual plays Westworld, <laughs> we saw the most the most violent. Murder that one could possibly imagine. We, it, I it,
1: shrieked. I was just like, yeah, "Oh!" Was we got <laughs> it was we, really we, bad. We started off
0: basically with, you know, I mean, obviously the, we're fighting with katanas. That things are going to be a little bit bloodier. But the Akane first kills um, the emissary of the Shogun by stabbing him in the eyeball with a secret <laughs> dagger from her hairpin. Um, but then ends, you know, ends her, 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 her next murder comes by hacking the head of the Shogun straight off, and we, or not straight off, it was still dangling from the side, at which point his body stood up <laughs> and tried to walk and then collapsed. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. It was a lot. Danny? That's the most
2: violent death I've seen on TV off the top of my head since the Red Wedding, which I don't even want to talk about the one I'm thinking of, but sure. you can guess it. Yeah. But I, th- I actually wanted to spend a moment on the juxtaposition you just mentioned. We talked about the sex scene earlier, but I think there's a very purposeful reasoning for that because after like Game of Thrones, and the reason I think it reminded me of Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen is because they made a purposeful effort after a lot of really horrible sexual scenes they depicted, they wanted to make a very purposeful way of depicting what that type of scene is with when it comes from a place of love and it's a very different type of encounter. I think they very purposely wanted to make it feel different. And I think there's a reason that they juxtaposed it so thoroughly.
0: At the end, uh, Maeve is talking about uh, showing Akane the world outside. Or she said, you know, she asked, Akane asked Maeve where her daughter is. Maeve says she's in another world just like, the story says, and I'll take you. I can take you there. And then she force awakens her. I think is that what happened?
1: It seems like Akane was sort of resisting. I, I, I'm not sure if she got to the other side, but but the, she was
0: trying to do something telepathically that was not spe- specifically declared, right? So
2: the way I understood that was that Maeve seemed to offer it almost in some ways that maternalistically wish it upon her, and then comes to the realization that breaking that bond between mother and daughter or mother and de facto daughter, Some like nothing's worth breaking that bond, even freedom. And that seems to be the decision that Maeve came to.
1: But what about at the end when she, um, you know, they're doing the whole fight scene and she is able to harness her power completely? Is that when Akane is going to join their group or is she just going to stay behind?
0: I guess we'll find out. I mean, it would be very interesting if we have, I mean, the reason why I posed the question or what I was getting at was that it seems like we're, I don't know if we're done with Shogun World full stop, but we're moving on, right? I mean, the, the journey is going to take us to another world now. So are are we going to, do you think we're going to spend much more time here? Or is this just, Are we? Are, do, and it, it was the point just picking up some supporting characters or, or and, and now we're moving on? Or is this... Is there more to be done in Shogun World?
1: I think it's going to be a very, like, quick tie-it-up-in-a-bow. Like, that was Shogun World. Like, we gave you what you wanted. You got all all the fights. (laughs) You got tons of gore. And now we're going to move on to Tiger Hunting World or whatever we're calling it. They
2: need to go to Snow Lake, which is where Sizemore said it has the access tunnels. And it's also Sakura's cornerstone memory. Mm -hmm. There's five episodes left. I mean, I imagine they're not going to just stop searching for Maeve's daughter. At this point, I wouldn't be shocked if that's a season three thing.
0: Go the the hunt for Maeve's daughter is season three. Yeah, that
2: they that really becomes like a massive storyline. I wouldn't be surprised if Snow Lake is how they getting out of Samurai War, getting out of Shogun world becomes a whole thing.
0: Not to steal your Game of Thrones uh, comparisons from you for this episode, but I think we've been for this whole season, characters have been moving across the various worlds, uh, the various parks. At the speed in which, you know, Jon Snow can travel from the top to the bottom of of the country, Um, I don't know that getting to the lake and getting into the tubes necessarily needs to take more than five minutes of showtime.
2: It could take five minutes or five episodes. Like, I really believe either is totally in play.
0: And also, I guess, I mean, it should be said that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen after this episode. We don't have screeners, so we couldn't even know if we wanted to. But, <laughs> um, you know, we're, we may not have much of Maven Dolores next episode. If, if, the, if the previous show, in the previous episodes this season have been any, any indication, they kind of just do a couple storylines at a time. So that doesn't, we don't know how, you know, how much opportunity they're going to get to move. But, um, you know, I, I enjoy Shogun World. But I kind of like the idea that all of this Shogun World hype was just like a tease. And next episode or the one after that, we're going to get, you know, future world. Like, we're just, Shogun World was just a pit stop on the way to what this season is really about.
1: Yeah, this this show is fond of misdirection. Like, I'm sure that that, <laughs> they would love to just completely fool all of Reddit <laughs> and move on to a new world. Um, I, I think I'm done with it. I Like, that was enough for me. <laughs> I mean,
0: certainly the killing of the Shogun himself, if that's, you know, it was, 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 was symbolic to this, that it might be time to move on.
2: Before yeah. we leave Shogun World, the last thing I'd say is the first thing said in this episode, and what you brought up, I thought is actually a metaphor for, how the show will treat it going forward. Maeve says to Musashi, didn't anyone ever tell you about bringing a knife to a gunfight? Yeah. And then they lasso them, and he's like, oh, what about fucking lassos?" Which, is that actually a thing? Did British people pronounce it lassoes? But I thought that was a really <laughs> great metaphor in like three seconds because it was two things. One, samurais are the real cowboys. Yeah. That was great with lassos. Two, it was... a. Uh, almost in some ways, uh, question your preconceived notions, question your baseline assumptions, like even like the knife to a gunfight thing. And that just seemed like a much broader metaphor for you may think Shogun World is lesser. You may think it came in a season later, but that does not mean that it won't play of almost an equal value in some ways to Westworld or that there aren't some areas where those characters are going to be much more prominent or much more important to the plot. That's kind of the way I interpreted that. Is like, and that's what they consciously chose as the first way we saw Shogun World, was basically Shogun World and people from it totally overpowering Westworld to their complete
0: surprise. And not just the people, not just the Westworlders. I mean, we saw that they totally dispatched with Delos, with like the Delos army that showed up in Shogun World too. They were strung up with creepy wooden boxes on their heads. Um, whereas, <laughs> yeah. you know, in Westworld, it seemed like they had a little bit more trouble with them until Dolores came in with the Nitro.
2: Yeah, and... We don't have to read too much into this, but there is a good idea of like a, a Western influence trying to spread to another culture, another part of the world, and then making some bad assumptions, and that not working out well.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> of, yeah, there, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of commentary. I mean, there's a lot of you know you can take a lot from just the the connection between you know, uh, Kurosawa movies and spaghetti westerns and everything yeah, exactly. else. But anyway, we'll get into all of that crap on Tenfoil Tuesdays episode this week, as long as well as. All of the weird, you know, all the characters' names and where they come from and any kind of weird minutiae we can find. But for this episode, we need to move on. The last big question um, is a basic one. We got, aside from Dolores and Maeve, we got about two minutes of other stuff on this show and it was the opening scene. What was the significance of that opening scene with uh, Carl Strand in the laboratory where he finds out that the they' they're, they're pu- they've pulled the hosts that were found in the lake early on the in the season. They pulled them out. Now they're going through. The tech says that a third of them have their brains totally wiped clean. Teddy is not
2: even wiped clean virgin brains as if they'd never held data
0: at all right. Teddy is one of the hosts lying on, you know, again, if you want to talk about parallels, um Teddy lying underneath another host that is uh, w- when later in the show he 'd be lying on top of Dolores naked in both scenes uh that <laughs> happened, and then at the very end we have of that scene we have uh strand clearly arching an eyebrow at Bernard and saying yes. This just quite a story you told alyssa what what are we supposed to gather from all that
1: Well, I mean the panning of the camera from dead Teddy to Bernard continues to make me think that b equals t and like <laughs> i i just can't let go of that theory ever since i read it um and so i i think there's that and then also that ford made a lot of these hosts self destruct like that was my uh interpretation of what Carl Strand was saying. He said something like, all these disparate threads come together to create this nightmare. Um, And it seemed like he was speaking directly to Ford at that moment that, oh, he sabotaged our entire operation. We have no IP left. Like This is a disaster. Um, So not only was there an interesting thing happening with Teddy and Bernard, but there's this um, complete implosion of the company and its value to the actual head of Delos.
0: Yeah, and and they're still obviously in search of. I mean, we know from previous episodes in the in the most present timeline with Carl Strand, um, that they, they're they're still searching for Peter Abernathy, right? I mean, they're still they're they're looking for. I mean, who is walking? Who is IP in one body? Um, there's there's a lot of a lot there's a lot going on with Teddy and Bernard and Abernathy. Um, most people listening to this know that we have, you know, we do, this show comes out on Sundays, we have a separate Tuesday show where we've been breaking down some of the crazy theories and the first Tuesday show that we did, we broke down the kind of B equals T theory, um, in some detail. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of hilarious that like the first big theory just, it just, yeah, who knows if it's true or not, but it's, that seems, that certainly seems to be what they're winking at.
2: Every shot that pans from Teddy to Bernard just makes me feel it stronger. I also have one crackpot theory from that scene. I don't know if you want me to go into that. Go ahead. So to go with what I was mentioning. Just for
0: the record reverend everyone listening to this is not a spoiler. This is what... This oh, this is, is just... This, yeah. the, show, the, show, <laughs> the show ended and Danny was like, what if? And I'm like, oh, just go. I literally go. made she make her pause and I was just like, alright, what if? So
2: it just comes back to Dolores and Teddy talking and they made you think that Dolores is like, "What would you do, Teddy?" And he says, "I'd put them all in the barn and right. protect them." And then Dolores says, R- rule,
0: "Rule of thumb: Whenever Dolores is talking about cattle, she's really talking about something else. Exactly. So this right. is when she's talking when she's talking about the diseased cows and they and what Teddy would do. But the about hosts. Yeah, take
1: a hint, Teddy. So talking about hosts, and it's
0: very clear that the divide is."
2: Dolores is like, call the herd. And Teddy's like, protect the herd. And, <laughs> and the, it seems clear who's going to win that. But Dolores actually throws on, I'll think about what you said, which is such a funny thing to
0: throw on because it doesn't seem like she would. And and, and remember, in se- the first episode of the season ends with Bernard saying, I killed them all. I killed them. I killed all of them.
2: Yeah. So what if they actually both did that? What if the connection between what happened to that third who were called the third, who there's nothing in them at all, if that is in some ways the weakest of the herd, so to speak, and that in some ways they are protecting that. They are, quote-unquote, in the barn. Whatever the code version is of protecting their little control unit brain, they look to me like like, like Glade plugins. Like, whatever the version (laughs) of their Glade, wherever the barn is for their Glade plugins Teddy is trying to protect the Do- weakest of the herd that Dolores wanted to call.
0: The third with the with the wiped brains are the sheltered cattle. yeah the so sheltered, Teddy's trying to give them a chance to survive.
2: So whether they did that together in tandem or Dolores no. tried to kill them and Teddy went behind her back in some way to save them, I don't know. but that is my that is how I think those scenes all interlink is that that third is very much connected to teddy trying to if, protect the herd. Yeah, the I don't, I don't think it's
0: even that dependent on any other theories. I think that if you're that if uh, teddy was you know all of his attributes were maximized or not all of them, yeah. many of them were maximized at the end of this episode. If he has any chance of being of of an awakening, then you know it's it stands to reason that he might pursue that, you know, pursue his his original uh, goals, metaphorical goals whether or not he's Uh, you know, he has his you know goodwill volume knob turned down. I mean that he he's now a Superman too.
2: And imagine if he still has those skills with his present company.
0: Yeah, and what that would be like when that reveal happens. Yeah,
2: because that would be awesome.
0: (laughs) I like that idea. we'll 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 see if that bears out. Um, Anything else, Alyssa, from that opening scene that we need to that we need to pay attention to?
1: No, I mean just you know the. The piles of dead bodies was significant to me, <laughs> but just because that was kind of terrifying.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, and glad is the wrong word. I like that we're that they they started with with Teddy's body. Um, it's you know, in some ways, despite how many different directions we've gone since the first episode of the season, this is still what's framing the season. It's the mystery of you know how Bernard washed up on the beach um, and what's happened. What happened in the two weeks between the uprising in that moment. Um, So, you know, as long as we're still working towards solving that riddle, um, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued. All right, let's move on. We have a weekly, uh, a a, a weekly part of the show that we call what's your damage. This one is a very easy question. Shouts to Amanda Dobbins who, who, uh, who suggested this segment as always this week my question is uh, my question is about Shogun. What's Shogun's damage? Uh, why is he so messed up? Is it is it is it, is it, this could be a very very simple answer. Danny, I'm going to give you the floor. Can I take a
2: guess? Yeah. I think it's cuz his head got fucking cut off. <laughs>
0: no, no, <laughs> before that. When he's lo- is, is he is he losing his mind?
1: He can't be upset about that. He's dead already. <laughs> is he losing his mind
0: there because he's leaking fluid or is he leaking fluid because he's losing his mind? Answer me that riddle.
2: I don't know. And genuinely, I was a little bit confused. Yeah. And I, I don't know how that happened. Or if then that when was... you
0: saw all the other, they cauterized or cut off or whatever, all the other soldiers ears. And then I, then I started thinking, is this leaking ear fluid a, a symptom of him being crazy? Or is it a symptom of the fact that he tried to do some damage to his own ears? It's uh, it's all very weird.
1: My, my interpretation there, just to jump in real quick, is that he saw that. Maeve was a warrior in some sense and because his like automatic programming is to be like the best in battle and to do as much as he can to survive he was just like well we must do the most brutal thing <laughs> and like let's all cut off our ears and maybe he messed with his head too because like that was his way to survival to avoid Maeve the witch but that was just my, of, my my defense, is it. that was
0: a great idea sure (laughs) like that really was based on what he knew up to that point sure i mean my impression though i mean my reading of it was that that he had been damaged that he for what, what somehow during the uprising or whatever he just like bernard he got his head conked and he's now leaking fluid and he's going downhill and but because shogun world is still in it's still a thing he's the leader of it and he's just like a demented old king who's you know who's ruling talking out of both sides of his mouth. He can't decide what he's doing. And we saw all this evidence of him, you know, coming down on Akane and then just being, or, or on, on Maven Company and then just being like, hey, can't you guys take a joke? And then he doubled back on it again. I mean, he's he's losing his mind.
1: Maybe it's because he has high blood pressure because he's always screaming <laughs> like excellent, like, like he's really angry. Like even when he's happy, he's like excellent.
0: <laughs> That's really um, great.
1: But, you know, I don't know if you've seen like the original Westworld movie, but in Medieval World, there was like a similar problem where like a king who was ruling Medieval World sort of went insane and it, it was unsettling to the host. So maybe this is just sort of a throwback to the old movie.
0: That, Alyssa, is the answer I was looking for. Danny, you're fired. Um, <laughs> okay, I've been working get for like on. six months. You guys, I don't know. <laughs> no, one, no one took away my badge. Back. Let's get on to the awards of the week. All right. The first award for the biggest, most biggest or most shocking reveal or moment of the episode. Alyssa, what's your, what, wh- who's your winner?
1: The fact that Maeve can control other hosts with her mind.
0: Alright, I'm glad that I let you go first because you're about to get drowned <laughs> out by Danny yelling about Shogun World for <laughs> no, five I,
1: minutes. I, mean, I fully expect that.
2: <laughs> I want to say Shogun World, but they titled it, the literal description of the episode is Welcome to Shogun World. No,
0: I don't think I looked that up. I thought it was the Dance of
2: Okane. No, no, that's the na- title of the episode. But if you, the, the description, like if you scrolling oh, through, oh, the oh, little the info thing is literally just Welcome to Westworld, Welcome, uh, welcome to Shogun, Shogun World. World. So there's but no, I don't so, care. It's still the biggest reveal. I don't well, care. And there's the a trailer way. out. There are no. photos
1: out. Like you yeah. can see Maeve in Shogun World before the episode, yeah. I
2: I would say the biggest one, actually, in my opinion, by far, is that Shogun World was Westworld. Like at some point, you realized it was the same thing and the same. Uh, Hector Armistice robbery scene. I realized it when they dropped this scorpion on the dude's head and just because I'm obsessed and I've just re-watched the pilot recently and that mirrors something from the pilot. But at some point, you had a moment where he approached the host. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it
0: was a be- the scorpion was, the fl- was what it was He was meditating. Okay. It was the same idea. <laughs> but
2: at some point, whenever you realize that, holy shit, this is the same thing. These are the same people. They just crib the same story. That was the biggest moment
0: of the episode. So it's not just Shogun World. It's the realization that everything's the same in Shogun World. If
2: I can quote True Detective, it's all one story. Is that the whole quote? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about light and and dark. Which, dare I say, (laughs) is love and hate. Which is all there is in this world. It's love and hate. It's all Um, just energy.
0: Yeah, I think that it, for for me, it's. It, I mean, I, I'm I'm tempted to go with Maeve, but it's it's Shogun World. I mean, this is this this this, this episode. What we're going to remember from this is is this is the first time we saw Shogun World. All right, our second award of the week for best quote or phrase or monologue. Alyssa, what's your what's your winner?
1: I said this earlier, but it's the Shogun World version of Armistice, and she says, "Even a snake can prove itself a dragon." And I felt that that was a really good way to sum up the whole Westworld tension. We don't know the motivations of any of these people, and they can all become superpowers, or they could become weak side plots. We don't know, and that's the whole point.
0: Uh, that character's name was Hanario? I don't think it was ever said in the show, or at least it might have been said in somebody's breath, but that's according to IMDb, who has been bullshitting us about Grace for two weeks. So maybe we should <laughs> that literally
2: mean... Replacement in Japanese.
0: Uh, That's what we translated it. According to Google Translate, in Malagasy, it means replace. It means replacement. It's a flower. It's a flower in Japanese, but I don't think that's any accident. Um, Danny, what's your quote of the week?
2: Uh, I'll cheat. and (laughs) Well, one, I said it as a joke in the beginning, but the puckered asshole line gets at what Alyssa has (laughs) been on from the beginning, which is do the host poop. (laughs) Uh, And other than just fucking lassoes, Actually, I'm going to cheat and go just revisit a quote from the first episode, uh-huh. which is the first words of this season, or among them, were the interview between Bernard Arnold and Dolores. And she asked Bernard Arnold, What is real? And he says, That which is replaceable. And to go with your theme of parallels for this episode, sure. what is replaceable? That totally was totally changed in this episode because the idea that these hosts now understand that. They are very literally replaceable. Their whole, not even themselves, their whole world is replaceable. Uh, that is a real catalyst for all of their journeys toward realization. I think that's going to put them all on a, a spiral, either toward, quote-unquote, the center of their maze, or out toward the edge, which is kind of being awakened or spinning into insanity. Uh, but that, I really just, that's really the quote I kept coming back to. It's, it's actually not from this episode, but the first one.
0: It's irreplaceable in the original quote, oh, that which sorry. is irreplaceable, which is, I'm sure what you meant but the opposite. No, but I but I, t- I take it. That's that's a really good one. I had a lot of I had a lot of quotes scribbled down for this one. Obviously Maeve's uh, show closer. They know how to put the pins in these things. I found a new voice now we use it. Um obviously when I, when Akane gave the Maeve speech of her own, you can be whatever you want to be. Um but you know, I thought that uh I thought that Dolores Dolores wins the week for me as far as quotes go. To grow we all need to suffer, which is Again, something that Ford said back in the, I mean, more or less in the in last season's finale, that it's sort of like time plus, you know, suffering equals uh, awakening. You know? Also,
1: good advice for watching this show. <laughs> I know. There are going to there, there be
0: some times where it feels like you're watching Dolores and Teddy talk, have the same conversation <laughs> for the hundredth time. Um, but you know it's important for growth it's important for them to have those conversations so that if, if for no other reason so that we can have a seamless scene cut to uh, you know eight hours later in Shogun World or whatever I'm
1: gonna use that line in my next breakup
0: um, I'm going to use that line in every yeah in every boring <laughs> office meeting I have from now on alright award number three the This Maze Was Not Meant For You award for Dumbest Human Alyssa who's your winner of the week
1: I think it's Sylvester cause I just really hate that guy <laughs> captured by Samurai, cup killers. killers, fuck me. Can't you say something to them? And he was just being so whiny. I mean, I can't believe he didn't escape. I guess I do believe it because he's so dumb. Um, But he also has worked with Felix this whole time. And then he asked him if he could speak Japanese to the (laughs) Shogun world people. And I'm just like, you didn't ask him. You don't know his ethnicity. Like, what's wrong with you? So my answer is Sylvester.
0: Yeah, he was made to look like he's definitely the biggest villain in the series right now after this episode. Danny, what's your what's your dumbest human award?
2: I can't. Also awarded to Sylvester. You can. You
0: absolutely can.
2: Yeah, Sylvester for the same. He's just fucking annoying. I hate that guy. My award
0: (laughs) for dumbest human, I'm sure no surprise, goes to Sizemore for not being able to get it through his head that the narrative can change. There was a (laughs) lot of that.
2: That that is frustrating, but like shoving the radio in his pants, I was kind of like, all right, I like it. Yeah, he got points for me from that. He's kind of a weasel, but like... It's not a dumb
0: move. No, no, no. He's a totally coherent character, and he's he's important to the show, and I'm excited to see where he goes. But that was a little bit. I was more exhausted by him on that in that one in in that one way than uh, than maybe even Dolores and Teddy's you know weird philosophizing by the end. I will briefly say in his defense for all the shit we gave him because when we were watching it, it was brutal.
2: All the shit we gave him about keep saying like, "Oh, it's going off the narrative." I can't do the accents, but. Um, <laughs> A lot of it did go with narrative, and he actually did like get a, like save their asses a couple times because of the narrative. Mm-hmm. So, in his defense, like he, he kind of knew what was up.
0: Yeah, no, no, he he he's getting it. he's getting it. I think you know, in a lot of ways, we've talked about it before. They kind of have to. You 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 can feel sometimes that the showrunners are just. Leaning on something really hard, they but they lean to different degrees, right? Something, yeah. some things they let they let they keep really vague, and you're just not sure how important it is if they just didn't lean hard enough when they yeah, should have. Yeah, yeah. This is just one of those instances, like Dolores being a baddie, that like w- they're just going to push really hard to make sure everybody gets, and then we can move on, hopefully.
2: And that is that is what you keep talking about. About the most unreliable narrators are Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, because when you're making a show like this, that is just going to be dissected endlessly and every little thing might be a clue that as long as you maintain this idea that you have omniscience as showrunners, then, like, nothing's a mistake and you can really kind of explain anything away until, like, the series finale.
0: It's true. I mean, and and we're also going to be able to explain a lot of stuff away over the rest of the season because we now have a all-powerful telepath and a bunch of magical iPads running around. Um, Alyssa, any closing thoughts before we get to Danny's wrap-up?
1: No, I'm just really excited to see what happens with Maeve's superpowers. I want her to control everything.
0: It is going to be sort of a weird letdown, you know. And again, we're recording this before we see scenes from the next episode, so we don't know where next episode is going to be. But it will be sort of a letdown after her great awakening. If next, if, you know, the, the next hour of Westworld we get is like, you know, Bernard and Elsie walking through the woods. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, okay, let's get to the reality check. Danny, is there anything that we need to touch base on before we, before we say farewell?
2: One thing just to explain, I think it's interesting. A ronin is a samurai that no longer serves anyone. Uh-huh. So that's kind of why he was like ronin scum. It's kind of a disrespected, but also not even so much like a cowboy thing, but almost like a knight.
0: Sure. Like a knight night marauding
2: the sort countryside.
0: Of. Yeah. and, and uh, Yeah, a, a kind of a knight errant. Uh, I think that, and so that was, and Hector's counterpoint was Musashi, who is probably uh, named after or named in honor of Miyatomoto Musashi, who was a famous sort of writer and ronin and, you know, philosopher um, from uh, 16th, 17th century Japan. His Wikipedia page is very informative if you want to go <laughs> check that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What 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 are the other big names? Uh, Maeve's counterpart was Akane, well, which translates translates as Tokyo Rose, which is loaded in any sort of any any number of of ways. So, but I think uh, is there anything else we need to get into there?
2: Um, no.
0: All right, I'm gonna Although take that. A lot
2: of the places the shogun names are like real, like the castle he mentions is a real place. Uh uh-huh.
0: oh, They took a lot of yeah. yeah. Armistice is uh yeah Hanario who we, who we mentioned before is is uh, a flower or Hanayo is a is is a kind of flower in Japanese, but the direct translation is from Malagasy, which means replace or replacement. And then um, Sakura was the daughter figure, or the you know to 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 Akane. I'm not sure if she was meant to deliberately parallel Maeve's daughter. It seems more like she was meant to parallel Clementine. If I mean, if, if we yeah. need more evidence of that, there was the scene where Clementine came face-to-face with fake Clementine from season one and was sort of mind-blown by it. That was back-to-back with a Sakura scene, correct?
2: Clem is like Theon from Game of Thrones uh-huh. in that she's just having the worst fucking time. She's not as annoying as Theon because she doesn't get as much screen time. She's not annoying, but she is just such a big character that is like just constantly on the back burner. And when she comes on, she's just going to be this force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Because she's just had the—I just I just feel so bad.
0: She's got a really—she's got a—she gets an, enough screen time. I mean, she feels like she's part of the main cast, but it's like they're holding her in reserve for something to come down that's coming later on.
2: If you watch the press tour, she'd th- you'd think she's a main character. And if you just watch the show, you'd be like, why, why is she on the show?
0: Exactly. So anyway, that name— um Sakura, the other, the other reason why we're comparing her to Clementine is that Sakura's uh, translates as cherry blossom. And and that's, uh, you know,
2: and fruit. I, and
0: fruit. <laughs> the first
2: thing, so remember the uh, old bartender that says like two things? I remember the uh, drink to the lady with the white shoes that Ford would always talk uh-huh. to alone in his like like dungeon. Pa- like, you like love that weird, guy, yeah. Yeah, like the <laughs> robot sex morgue or whatever that mm-hmm. place is. One of his two lines, and again, this is, the, in Ford's words, the second host they ever made. Mm-hmm. One of his only lines is about <laughs> cherries in the box, and the box doesn't have the cherry, and it's a reference to virginity, and it's kind of like a crude joke. But it also seems pretty on the nose for this idea of virginity, the debasement of purity. You you hate when I talk about the Garden of Eden, but very relevant. So anytime there is a reference <laughs> to cherry in the show, it's crude, but at the same time, actually is like super meaningful.
0: Wow, all right I mean we had we actually had a loss of virginity in this episode, so I'm yeah. gonna go with you on this one yeah, huh all right i'm I'm good um <laughs> is that is there anything else we need to touch on before we get out of here?
2: Can you just admit that the katana fights were fucking awesome? The katana this fights were great. great. This was great. Come <laughs> on! I grew up. Give me something. It I, was amazing. I
0: grew up watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoons with the rest of them. I I was really into the, the any kind of like medieval or you know the classical sword play. I I did Dungeons and Dragons. I did all that stuff. So yeah, katanas are great.
1: Akane's some, a great dancer too.
0: Also, <laughs> yes, true. Also, um, <laughs> Storm Shadow uh, from GI Joe. What? Uh, yeah, you don't know what that is. There's I, a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of good sort of, there's a lot of good katanas back in my in my G.I. Joe fandom too. Um, all right. <laughs> this has been This has been Westworld Duray for season two, episode five, Akane no Mai. Um we'll be back here on Tuesday. Alyssa, thank you so much for doing this with
1: us. Happy to do it.
0: Danny, thank you as always. I'm not sure you ever leave that chair. <laughs> Thanks to all the Ringer podcast crew. And thank you for listening to us. We'll see you back here on Tuesday, amigos. <laughs> Our theme song was made by our friends at songfinch.com. Check out Songfinch to turn your stories, memories, and feelings into a -a one-of-a-kind song by professional musicians. It makes the perfect gift for any occasion. Songfinch.com.
2: I just want to thank everyone. We got through that whole thing and no one said arigato. And I'm so proud of everyone.